we always say, what are we going to do for that, 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 that interesting week where we have the one service? And I thought about uh, talking about the second Advent. That might be a strange phrase for somebody, but the second Advent. Advent, the Latin word adventus means arrival or coming, uh, coming into view, coming into place. And uh, the Old Testament prophets predicted that, that the Messiah would come and Jesus came. And that was the first Advent, the first arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the same scriptures give a promise that there's a second coming of Jesus. And that's what we're going to focus our thoughts on today. Something we don't think enough about in the church today. My thoughts begin with Luke chapter 4. That's an interesting passage. Luke, in Luke 4, Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth. He's beginning his ministry. And, and as a traveling rabbi, they gave him permission to read the scripture that day. He opened the scroll to Isaiah chapter 61. And he began to read Isaiah 61. And then he stopped in the middle of a verse and put it down. And then he sat down and everybody was quiet and listened. And he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled before your very hearing. In other words, he was saying, I'm the Messiah, the one that Isaiah talked about. Needless to say, he didn't have much of a ministry in Nazareth. No, in fact, before the afternoon was over, they tried to kill him, but he slipped away. Jesus stopped in, in the middle of a verse. Why? If you look at Isaiah 61, because the first half of that verse was about the first advent of Christ, and the second half of the verse is about his second advent when he comes in judgment. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, the one who would judge the world. Either he's a crazy fool, or he really is the Lord, the King, and we worship him as King of kings and Lord of lords because we believe he is the Messiah, the one who has come and the one who will come again. Now, I've chosen as a passage today, 2 Peter, the third chapter, the letter of 2 Peter in the New Testament. Get your Bibles out. We'll have it on the overhead. We'll refer to this quite a lot. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1, and I'm going to stop at 14. 2 Peter 3. When you find that, you can stand. Let's, let's, let's stand for the reading of, of the Word of God today. <clears throat> this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord, of our, the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago when the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, 
And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening and the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as, bur as they burn? But... According to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Amen. God's word. You may be seated. The day of the Lord, the day predicted by the Old Testament prophets and on into the New Testament. World War II, some of you know about World War II. Some of you were probably alive in World War II, maybe a few of you. June 6, 1944, was called D-Day. The Allied troops, America, England, Canada, they, 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 they rushed the, the Normandy Beach of France, the invasion, to stop the Nazi, Nazi aggression through Europe. And um, that was D-Day, the D-Day invasion. You've heard of that. 24,000 troops launched <laughs> there in France. Uh, several years later, one year later, in, in May, 1945 was called VE Day, VE Day, Victory in Europe, VE Day, the celebration because uh, several days later on April 30th, Hitler had, had committed suicide. And then, uh, so the war was essentially over. When he knew it was over, he committed suicide and uh, eight day, nine days later, it was VE Day, Victory in Europe. Then later that summer, after two bombs were dropped in, in Japan, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, August 14th, 1945, Victory in Japan Day, VJ Day. That war was over, and people went nuts all over. The, the, the New York Times, uh, uh, that was the famous picture, um, Times Square in New York, as this, 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 strange, this sailor went around kissing people of all ages, and the, the one cameraman just saw that picture. It was, it was a very famous picture, still is a very famous picture. Uh, they know who she has been. Uh, they know who she is, but the, there's about 11 men who say that was them. <laughs> Her name was Edith Shin. But people went crazy because the war was finally over. Listen, Jesus Christ is in a war with Satan. Do you know that? Do you believe that? And those who love him, therefore, are in a war. We are in a spiritual warfare. And the good news is that there is an even more important VJ Day coming. This passage reminds us this morning that the day of the Lord will eventually come as the prophets predicted long ago. It will be a great day when the church finally rejoices at the ultimate victory of Jesus Christ. VJ Day is coming. That's my title. Victory in Jesus Day is coming. Amen? Jesus is coming back. So don't be fooled, but rather be ready. Don't be fooled but be ready. We're going to walk through these verses in 2 Peter sequentially this, today, and there's, there's kind of four, I'll stop, and there's four points we're going to make as we look at this in light of the second advent. The, the verse, the, the chapter begins, he says, this is the second letter, this is 2 Peter, the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved, in both of them I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminding, I want to remind you some things that you've heard about, that you should, verse 2, remember the predictions of the holy prophets 
the commandment of the Lord uh, through the prophet, through the apostles, the Lord and Savior through the apostles. So he says, I'm, 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 I'm just want to remind you of some important things in this letter. Now, earlier in the letter, in, in chapter one, he's had a very strong uh, uh, position about the scriptures, the word of God. Look at, if you have a Bible, look at chapter one, verse 20 and 21. He says, knowing this first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. But no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We believe that prophecy is, is basically history, history beforehand <laughs> because God is God and God knows. And, and, and God has inspired men to, to proclaim what's going to happen. Peter is now in a prophetic stance as he writes this. And essentially in chapter 2 of this book, he talks about false prophets, false teachers, those who don't handle correctly the word of God. And he talks, and the whole second chapter is, is about uh, false prophets and false teachers. But I want you to, to, the first point I want you to make today is, is that we need to first remember, I want to remember four things. Remember that there are some opponents of God. There are, there are false prophets, there are false teachers, there are people who are falsely following the wrong God. Verses one to four, that, that's, where he, that's where he goes in the, in the first four verses of this chapter. <clears throat> And that should not be something strange to you if you know your Bible. Do you remember back in the garden? Back in the garden, there was the seed of the woman and there was the serpent. There was going to be this, this ongoing struggle through history. You remember Moses wanted, wanted to, to, to free the, the children of Israel as God had called him to and there was Pharaoh in opposition to what God wanted to do. He said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. You see David and Goliath. You see David, the, the Israelites and the Philistines, this, this cosmic struggle between good and evil. David was triumphant. The people of God were triumphant for a season. Even in the wilderness during Jesus' life, Satan came to Jesus, the son of God. Cosmic struggle. Jesus was victorious. And in the book of Revelation, if you read the book of Revelation, there's the battle between the great harlot and the bride of Christ. Cosmic struggle. Cosmic battle. You know, uh, uh, since our, our society is kind of, I would say, post-Christian in our worldview, you know, people still have what I would call dualistic instincts. Du dualism is this cosmic struggle, good versus evil. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've seen in the last couple of days the incredible popularity of Star Wars. Star Wars number, number what number is it, folks? Number seven? Episode seven, okay. I went, I went to see it, but I don't remember which number it was. I get confused. I'm not a numbers guy. Star Wars, good versus evil, light versus dark, the dark side. It's, it's kind of the new religion in one sense. It's a, it's, it's a worldview that we all can wrap our arms around, isn't it? it, it but it reminds us that there's, there's something in the human soul that understands that there's good and evil. That, 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 that the universe we live in, there's dualism going on. It reminds us of that. Because, you know, essentially, the Star Wars came out right before Christmas, and, of course, uh, the marketing people are getting it. It's great. All these Christmas gifts, people are buying Star Wars and stuff. But um, you ever play the game of uh, Icebreaker of what was your favorite Christmas movie? You ever do that one? You know, you know The Grinch or Charlie Brown. Or, I'm, I was always a, a, a George Bailey fan. It's a wonderful life. Anyone like that movie? That's one of my favorite movies. But, but my one favorite movie is sometimes not seen as a, a, a Christmas movie. It's called Three Days of the Condor. Anyone heard that movie? Probably not. Oh, a few of you have. That's great. Now, it's a spy movie, and it's intrigue, and it's death, and it's, it's, it's not something that you would take your kids to. <laughs> but, 
but it's the whole movie is in the background of Christmas. And it's asking the question, is there anything, any cause in the world worth, living, worth really giving yourself to? That's what the movie is about. So if you've, never, if you've seen the movie and you didn't get it, watch it again. But don't let your kids watch it. Three days of the condor. Back to, the, back to verse 3. First, we remind us that scoffers will come. But look at what verse 3 says. In the last days, scoffers will come following their own sinful desires. Very important phrase there. I want to skip, I don't want to skip that. It doesn't say they will come and it will lead to sinful desires. What does it say? They will come following sinful desires. There's a causal connection that Peter has that we, we don't want to miss. Because we believe that belief can change behavior. We believe in Jesus Christ. That's to change our behavior. But also, behavior can change belief. Behavior can also change belief. And that's what we see him talk. He said these people come with, 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 with uh, um, interesting uh, false teachings and false doctrines, scoffing, denying the word of God. He says they're following their sinful desires. There's, there's, there's a, a behavior, a moral thing going on there. Very consistent with what Scripture says. <clears throat> Verse 4, here's what they say. Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning. Nothing's changed. Decade after decade, century after century, nothing has changed. What's this business about Jesus coming back? It's been over 2,000 years. That's what the scoffers say. They have skeptical words about what the prophets and the apostles predicted. They deny the personal return of Jesus. Some even deny the existence of a personal God who controls history. It's all up to us. It's all up to us. You know, there were scoffers in Peter's day, and there's lots of scoffers in our day. Several weeks ago, after the San Bernardino tragedy, you know, you know about that tragedy, the terrorist situation, there was a, a, a New York Daily News front page story, it was a front page story, that said simply this. Where's the, where's the slide? God isn't fixing this. Did you hear about this? The front page, the, the, the story, the picture in the, the article was saying that we're tired of whenever there's a tragedy happening where politicians uh, who are given a, put, they say, do you have a comment about it? And all they say is, our thoughts and prayers are with the family. You've heard that phrase. Our thoughts and prayers are with the family. And the article is saying, we need more than thoughts and prayers. We need to stop praying for God to do something. God's not going to do something. We've got to fix this situation. That's what the article is saying. Now, it, it, and actually, the article is actually, it goes really into gun control as a remedy. That's another political issue. I don't want to get into that. But the point is, the audacity of that, that there's no God who's going to fix things on earth. I got some good news. I know a God who's going to fix some things on earth. I know a God who will fix things. Verse 5. <clears throat> Verse 5 says, they deliberately overlooked this fact. The heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. What, 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 what does Peter go here? He wants us to, see the, to remember the power of God 
connected to the Word of God, the power of God. We don't want to overlook the power of God and the connection of the power of God and the Word of God. Now, now he, he, he first talks about the creation. You see, he's talking about creation there in verse 5. Genesis 1, where God said, let there be light. God spoke, he said his word, let there be, and there was. Hebrews chapter 11 says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. God spoke into existence that which was not. Then in verse 6, he talks about the world that existed that was deluged with water and perish. He's talking about Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8, and 9. The time of Noah. Noah and the flood. You might know that story. Don't look at that movie that was about Noah a few years ago, that Russell Crowe movie. You get very little biblical facts from that movie, which I saw and wasted my money to see. <laughs> look at Genesis 6 through 9 and find out what God said really happened uh, at the, with the flood, the biblical narrative there. And, and, and there's some people who doubt that there was a flood. You know, Jesus talked about the flood. The Lord Jesus talked about the flood. Matthew chapter 24. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. You know, life was just going on. They were just doing what they do, getting marriage licenses and, and, and partying and, and, and enjoying life until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus said that. Jesus said that. The word and creation, the word and the flood, as he spoke, rain came and didn't it rain. And then verse 7, the divine word in the day of the Lord, which is still to come. It's still to come. It's still future. And, and Peter uses interesting words to describe this day of the Lord. He uses the word perish, destruction, by fire, day of judgment, very serious, very serious thing Peter's talking about here. So we need to be aware of the many ways that people scoff at this by denying it or by diluting the word of God. It's very subtle, isn't it? It's, it's, in fact, it's damnable. Maybe you count yourself among the scoffers this morning. Maybe you're an agnostic. Maybe you haven't totally given yourself to Jesus because you're just not sure. Listen to what Peter's saying the authority of the Word of God. History is going somewhere. It's not all random. It's going somewhere. And it is his story. He's in charge. The Savior reigns. History is beginning and an ending. And then there's eternity on one side and eternity on the other side. But, but the, the, this earth is his. Now, why does it look sometimes, though, that there's this total randomness and total chaos? Why? Well, we, we don't want to get into that a lot, a lot of it, but, you know, there's this thing called the fall, that we're fallen creatures. We're fallen people. Let's continue in the passage, though, because I love, I love where, Paul, where, where Peter goes next here. I want to talk about uh, the patience of God. He wants us to remember the patience of God. Look at verses 8 through 10. Verses 8 to 10. <clears throat> the Lord, one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, he, he's alluding to a verse in the psalm, Psalm 90, verse 4, where Moses said, For a thousand years in your sight are, yet, are but as yesterday when it's past, or as a watch in the night. Peter's pulling that verse from the Old Testament, Psalm 90, verse 4. 
And, and then he moves on, in case you don't get the point. He goes on to verse 9, he's, and he, he says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient. He's not slow. He's patient. He's slow to judge, yes, because he's patient. He's slow to become angry. In fact, your scripture repeats over and over again this thing that he is slow to be angry. Aren't you glad about that? Did you think of your own lives? Think of my life? I'm glad that God is slow to anger. He's a God of compassion. Remember the book of Jonah? This is an interesting thing in the book of Jonah. You know, he went to the city of Nineveh. God called him to do that. Well, he went in the third chapter. First, he didn't go. He went the opposite direction. But when he finally goes, he preaches a message of repentance to the people of Nineveh, and they believe. And you, think that you would think the book was over, but it wasn't, because there's another chapter, because he didn't want them to believe. And so God had to deal with him and with his heart. And he says this, I didn't want to go there, Lord, because I know you. I know your heart. I know you're loving and compassionate and that you are slow to anger. And that you would, and that you would therefore uh, 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 forgive and save these people who I don't want to be saved. So he says, one of the things is you are slow to be angry. And even back further in, in Exodus, here, here the, the, the witness is not a human, but it's God himself. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 to 7, where Moses and God are talking. And, Mo, and, and, and God says to Moses, Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, it's the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. So God himself testifies of himself that he's a God who is slow to anger. Why? Because God desires repentance, folks. He desires that we return to him and come to him. He's patiently calling a people, commanding a people to come to him, that they may have life and may have joy and fellowship with him. Peter, the same Peter in Acts chapter 3, he says, verses 17 and 20, in verse 19, repent, therefore, turn and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. See, our problem is our sin. We're sinners. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. We're all sinners. We're, we share that common humanity. We need to repent of our sins because all sin will be judged. The gospel, the good news, is that, the, the, that, that God laid the sins of his people on his son on the cross. And on the cross, our sins were judged, those who placed their faith in the Lamb of God. But all sins will be paid for. John 3.16, you know the verse, many of you, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And the next verses say this, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through the son, might be saved. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned because he hasn't believed in the Son of God. God wants us clearly to understand that he has delayed his return, but that doesn't mean that he won't return. A delayed return doesn't mean there's no return. In Romans chapter 2, Paul says, 
because of your heart, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, the blessings of God, the kindness of God. He says, but because of your heart and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. There will be judgment. God is delaying judgment. That's the great news that God is giving all of us time to come to know his son and have our sins paid for. You go to the airport to pick up a loved one who's traveled from California, let's say. And you, you, you get there, and you see on the screen that the, that the flight has been delayed. Delayed, and you, you talk to someone, and they tell you that there's a storm in the Midwest. You know? So all the planes that are going in the Midwest, they've been redirected, and a lot, a lot of them have to land in, at BWI. So you go to the airport, and you're just waiting, and you're waiting, and waiting. And you, and, and you, you figure that the, the plane in California is circling, circling the area, circling Maryland, waiting for the turn to land. Now, the good news is this. That plane is not going to stay up forever. It's going to come down. It's going to come down one way or the other, right? It'll come down when the air traffic controller says, now is the time. It's your turn. Come down. And it comes down. And BWI has a great track record of just not having a lot of, lot of problems with our, with our airplanes. So, so, you, so though you're on earth and you're impatient, and you're waiting for, for the plane to come down because of the delay, you can relax because it's going to come down. See, a delayed return doesn't mean there's no return. And we need to understand that as we think about the promises of Scripture that Jesus Christ will return. You remember in Acts chapter, six, chapter 1, verse 6 to 8, when he gives the Great Commission? The Spirit will come, you'll be my, 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 my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He says that. And, and then he goes away. He, he's gone. He's gone. And the disciples are saying, he's gone. They're, they're, and then an angel comes and says, why do you stand here gazing? This, the, the same, the, in the same way that you saw him go up, he's coming back down. But your job now is to go and be witnesses. That's the instruction. The same Lord Jesus who, who ascended into heaven will come down on the day of the Lord. Verse 10 says this. But the day of the Lord will come, but it will come like a thief. That's interesting. It will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with the roar. Heavenly body will be burned up and dissolved. The earth, the works that are done on it, will be exposed. A thief. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 talks about the second coming as, as a thief, surprised. In Revelation 3, 3, John uses it. Um, Jesus in Luke chapter 12, he says, know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Right? I mean, it's just logic, right? If the thief tells you he's coming at 5.05, you want to make sure you're there at 5.05, right? So you can keep from taking your stuff. Verse 40, Luke 12, 40. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you don't expect. The thief doesn't announce when he's coming, and he's saying that the, 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 the day of the Lord, the, the Son of Man's return, you've got to be ready. You don't know when it's going to happen. Then the rest of that verse, verse 10, talks about the heavenly bodies burned up and dissolved, the earth and the works we've done. You know, it's the, the, it'll be, there's, a, there's an old, old song in the 80s called the, the End of the World as We Know It, uh, R.E.M., I don't know if you know that song. Um, 
And then the tagline is, and I feel fine. At the end of the world, we know it, and I feel fine. Well, you know what? If you don't know Jesus, you won't feel fine. You will not. It won't be a good day for you. All the works we burnt up. The creation, you know, you know God loves creation. This creation is cursed, but God loves this creation, and, and we're stewards over this creation. In Romans 8, it says, Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing or the revelation of the sons of God. Now, that's some fancy language there, but what it's saying is that this cursed world longs for, the, for Jesus to return so that the curse can be removed even from creation. That's why that song says, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace, far as the curse is found. This cursed world will become transformed. And that's what Peter's talking about here after it's, the renovation takes place. But it, this is still not the end. It's only the second time. It's kind of like God has really hit his reset button a couple times. I'll put, put a little, little thing here, uh, uh, a slide here to help you understand this. This is Peter's view of history. First, we've talked about creation, where God, with, with his word, uh, uh, created the world. And then there's this transition period when, during the time of Noah, God grieved that he made the world. Noah found grace, and the flood came. God hit his reset button and started over. Uh, Genesis chapter 9, the things that are said there, be fruitful and multiply, the same things he said in the garden, in, in, in chapter 1. It's, it's kind of the reset button. And that's the age in which we're in now. Peter's time frame, that's where we are now. The time from Noah on, this era, this age. And the prophet said that this age will end with the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord hasn't come yet, and Peter's saying that day is coming. And, and, but again, it's another reset button. It's another reset button. God is going to transform the earth and heavens, the universe. That's, what, that's, what, that's, that's the, 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 the picture that Peter has here. Revelation 21 and 22, you see the picture of the new heavens and the new earth, the eternal state. Even the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 65, 17, Behold, I create new heavens, a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Remember the patience of God, because he's not willing that any should perish. And the last thing I want you to see is to remember the purposes of God, verses 11 and 14. Remember the purposes of God. We need to commit to God's purposes. What kind of people shall we be? Yes. We ought to live, be, be in you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for, hastening the coming of the day of God. Verse 14, uh, waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Purity, holiness, godliness. Live for the glory of God is the encouragement. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Be committed to justice and mercy and holiness. I love Titus chapter 2. Verse 11 to 14, verses 11 to 12. For the grace of God has appeared. This is Jesus coming through grace in the gospel, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. There it is. The grace of God trains us. Now, there's many people who, talk, who love to talk about the grace of God, but they don't understand that the grace of God trains us to be godly. They don't understand how that works. Some have called people who believe 
Because of grace, doesn't matter what we do. This is called hyper-grace, not true grace. A hyper-grace understanding of grace. Now, now P- Peter and, and Paul and the New Testament writers, they, they, the, the grace of God changes our hearts because we begin to love God and want to, want to serve God and, and please Him. And that's the true gospel. This grace is undeserved, unmerited, freely given to us through Jesus, trains us to live godly lives. We need to think about how that works more and more because, we, because somehow in this age we've forgotten that truth, but it's here in the scriptures. The Bible says, we, Jesus says, we, we, we love because he first loved us, 1 John chapter 4. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. What is the connection between love and obedience? We need to ponder that in the church today. If a parent has unconditional love for their child, does that mean that every behavior of the child pleases the parent? I don't think so. I don't think so. It is possible that God, full of grace, has an unconditional love for us in Christ, and yet, sometimes, the things we're doing ain't pleasing to him. We need, as believers, understand that, that the testimony of the church is struggling in our world today because maybe of the lives that we live, not understanding this call, that because of the second advent, because Jesus is Lord, we live lives of holiness and godliness in this present age. And we're to wait, wait for his promises. Titus, Titus 2 continues, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous of good works. And then verse 13, one phrase there, it says, and hastening, 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 verse 12, excuse me, hastening the day of his coming. We, we proclaim this, and as we proclaim the, the good news of, of his love, we're actually hastening his coming. Where do I get that from? From this verse, but also Matthew 24, verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. When we proclaim Jesus, we hasten his coming. So in light of 2016, it's around the corner, in light of the days ahead of us, here's some things we ought to consider. One is our own personal calling, our own personal callings in life. Your career, your job, your vocation, your, your responsibilities at, at, at home, in, in the church, in the community with your family. You should consider those. Consider your vocation. Scripture says we are his workmanship, created to do good works. We should be people who are committed to doing good works that, that the world might be blessed. We were created to do good work. That's our task. That's our responsibility. That's why God has left us here on his earth as believers in Jesus. Are, are you giving yourself to responsibilities God's given you? Are you really giving yourself to them as, as unto God? Colossians 3, 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him, your vocation. And another thing, some of you might want to, 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 to reflect and pray about considering making a, a ministry, full-time ministry in the kingdom of God your vocation. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few, Jesus said. He saw the the, the needs of the people, sheep without a shepherd. 
And he told his disciples, these people need, 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 need servants who will go and labor in the vineyard. There's a generation of, 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 of men and women in, in church ministry, campus ministry, youth ministry, who are serving God. And you know what? We're not getting any younger. And God needs to call more people to take the baton from us. And I believe God is calling more people. If, if, if you sense the call of God, talk to us. We'll, we'll try to discern that with you, what God's doing. But no matter what, if, you're, if your calling in life is to serve God in the career that he's called you to or, or to, to make a career change and go into ministry, the ultimate is to simply know in that, here in that day when you stand before him, well done, good and faithful servant. That's our goal. That's our desire. And then verse 14, it ends with the last word there. Be found with him without spot or blemish and at peace. Jesus, the Prince of Peace. He came to give us peace and when he comes, we need to be at peace with, with, our, with the people in our lives, but also at peace with him who came to reconcile us. Remember God's opponents. Remember his power. Remember his patience. Remember his purposes. Many of you remember the movie by Arnold Schwarzenegger, Terminator. His phrase was, I'll be back. Remember that? Remember Arnold? Well, somebody greater than Arnold said the same thing. I'll be back. And we better believe that he will be back. One songwriter says, coming again and coming again. Maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, maybe soon. Coming again and coming again. Oh, what a wonderful day it will be. Jesus is coming again. BJ Day, Victory in Jesus Day, is coming. Don't be fooled, be ready. Because we're more than conquerors, you see, through him who loved us when we were in Christ. Eugene Bartlett was a, a writer, he was a businessman born in 1885 uh, in Arkansas. He was a singer, performer, he traveled to uh, different churches in the South. He was a music teacher who was committed to improving the quality of church music on the frontier during that day. Um, he founded the uh, Hartford Music Company in Arkansas with his time, energy, and money. He compiled a hymnal that had 15,000 copies sold, and he, he himself wrote 800 hymns. In, in 1939, he was 54 years old, and he suffered a stroke. And he was bedridden with partial paralysis. And so he wrote one more hymn. In the last verse, the last hymn, I heard about a mansion. He's built for me in glory. I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angels singing and the old redemption story, some sweet day. I will sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me. He bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him. All my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing Blood. Do you have that victory in Jesus Christ? Do you have that in your life? Let's, let's pray. Lord, we pray for the coming year. Lord, we use this year as a, as a time to reflect on who you are and our relationship with you, that we would know with confidence that you died for our sins. It is well with us, and we experience victory in Jesus Christ. And help us to live 
Lives that, that, that shout that, that proclaim that, that express the joy that we have in you. Lord, if there's people here today, Lord, who have not made that commitment, Lord, may they not have rest. May they feel uneasy until they find rest in Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Lord, do your work by the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's, let's close with let's that last verse of uh, Victory in Jesus. Which verse we got here? First verse of Victory in Jesus.